We thank you that you are everything that we need. And Jesus, this morning I pray that as I speak, Lord, that your word would minister to people. Lord, your minister would bring life and hope to those who are hopeless. Lord, that it would encourage those who are discouraged. Lord, that it would bring hope for the future. Illuminate our path with your word, Jesus, today. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may take your seats. See, I am not like David. David's just able to get up like one sheet of paper and just talk for ages. I'm just like this, carrying everything on. I got about 16 sheets, and then I just thought I threw my Bible into a shelf at the bottom of the pulpit, but there's no shelf, so I've like thrown it on the floor, but there we go. Anyway, if I need it, I'll just bend down and get it. It is very, very good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? And you know, over the last few weeks, Dave's been ministering to us just from Psalm 23, a wonderful psalm, a psalm that gives us so much direction, a psalm like David's ministered, where God comes as a shepherd to lead us, to serve us. And he's been talking over the last few weeks about restoration, about the green pasture that God has for each one of us to refresh us about the still waters that he can bring us into, peace with our relationships. And this morning, I just want to pick up on the next part of that scripture, which is found in Psalm 3. So we're just going to read the first few lines of Psalm 23 together, and I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. So it says this, The Lord is my shepherd to feed, to guide, and to shield me. I shall not want. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still and quiet waters. He refreshes and restores my soul, my life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, next to being restored spiritually through salvation, I think one of the biggest places in our lives that we need restoration is in our souls. What is our soul? Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And life has this funny way of marking us as we walk through life. I don't know whether you've experienced it. You've got dreams, you've got aspirations as a child, and things don't work out the way you thought they would. You've got friends that are friends on the playground, and then all of a sudden they turn around and say something really nasty, and you're left on your own. And all the way through life, through different stages and seasons, we've got a high times where we feel like we're riding, like just on cloud nine. And then we've got our times where life marks us. You know, perhaps today your past has marked you. I don't know, maybe something abusive's happened in your past. Perhaps you've been bullied Maybe people have only ever spoken negative things over you. Maybe there are people that have deserted you, walked out on you. One minute you're living in a happy family, next minute dad's gone or mum's gone. I mean, it's like that. You know, it's, it's like a rabbit going into headlights. And you just stand 
And it's like, my life just marks you. And because of that, your personality can just change. You know, the brightness, the spark that you had for life just becomes a bit dull. You know, you feel suppressed in your emotions. You feel like you're hiding all this, maybe this anger and resentment. And you look at other people and you think, oh, their life is okay. But, you know, in you, life has marked you. It's marred you. And your soul is broken. Your mind is broken. The things that you think, the way that you think isn't the way that you thought. Your emotions are bruised. And I just love the fact that in this psalm, he says, Our shepherd comes to refresh and restore our lives. What does refreshing mean? Refreshing means to energize and to reinvigorate. And restore means to bring back, to return, to reestablish. You know, God in this place, as our shepherd, he wants to bring us back to the place that he's always planned and designed for us. What's he planned and designed for us? Well, Jeremiah 29, 11 says it wonderfully. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God's plan for our lives is restoration. He doesn't want us to live our lives through the lens of our past. He doesn't want us to live our lives through the bruisings and the markings and the way that he enables us to work through and to live a different way is by restoring our emotions, restoring our minds, refreshing us. So that if we're exhausted by life, if you're weary, if you feel like you're bearing down by burdens, your zeal gone, then he comes to invigorate, to energize to bring back. You know, if I've never restored a, of, a piece of furniture because I probably wouldn't have enough patience to. But for people who have restored furniture before or for what I've read on the internet about restoring furniture, one of the biggest processes in restoring, say, a chair or something is to actually begin to remove the layers and the buildup of grime, of wax, all those things. What life has almost sat on that chair and deposited over time from the different people, all of that. Got, you know, the restoration process is to gently remove that and get it back, peel it back to the point then where you're left with the, you know, the plain wood and you can begin to restore a piece of furniture. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to restore our souls. And the amazing thing is, he does it so many different ways. We are all individuals, and he treats not one of us the same. He, he deals with us so individually and so personally, because that's what we, as his kids, are to him. You know, the fact that he says he numbers each hair on our heads... 
You are so valued. And he will make sure that that restoration process is tailor-made for you. You know, you can walk into a doctor's surgery and you can say this one thing. I need you to restore my soul, please, doctor. And the doctor is going to look at you and feel hopeless inside because he can't restore anything. He can medicate, but he can't restore. But then God has this amazing way of taking, imagine our lives are like a beautiful porcelain plate which gets smashed. And God has a way of not just picking up the big pieces and putting them back together. That's quite easy to do sometimes. Well, it isn't, but it is, you know, to find the big pieces and piece them together. But God has a way of taking the very intricacies, those tiny little shards of our lives. He has this way of bringing them and piecing them back together to restore us to our former beauty. And this morning, I just want to share with you maybe some ways that God uses to restore our lives. Dave's preached it in the last few weeks. You know, one of the ways he restores us is by leading us and making us lie down in green pastures. Green pasture of the local church, where his words declared, where he gets to just tell you what he thinks of you. Still waters, where God comes and he brings you by a gentle brook to satisfy, to refresh you. Where you're feeling weary and exhausted, He'll bring relationships that bring you peace. And I was just looking in this scripture at other ways that possibly God can use to restore our soul. And I love, I think David is a great example that we can follow in one way of allowing him to restore our soul. And it's found in Psalm 31. No, it's not found in Psalm 31. It's found in Psalm 34 verse 1. And it says this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. And then it goes on in Psalm 34 verse 5. It says, to those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. And verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who will take refuge in him. You know, Jesus today, he's not coming to you and looking at your week and thinking, Failed, failed, messed up, failed, said something wrong there, did something wrong there. Oh, they haven't read their Bible for the last week. Oh, no, no. He's not one of these gods. He's not God like what we would be God. If we were God, I would be like that. I would be because I'm a rules girl. I follow the rules. I'm just really good. You know, I just, well, I'm not really good, but I'm just, I mean, well, I am good, but I follow rules. Do you know what I mean? Dave and I are opposite. He, he doesn't follow rules. Well, he does concerning driving. He follows the rules there, so you're fine. But he's, Davis just thinks out of the box and I don't. I'm just like, I stay in my little box. And that's why we all need each other because, gosh, life would be boring if you were in the box all the time. And God brings alongside people to help you out of the box. But anyway, why did I say that? (laughs) Hold on, I'll get there, I'll get there. Why did I say about boxes? Um, Yes. Anyway, so, but he he says, God wants us to bless him. 
He wants us to have our mind and attention focused on him. So I would encourage you, oh, that's why I was saying it. Because, ah, I remember. So you, God's not the kind of God that is distant and, you know, he puts you on the naughty step. He doesn't put you on the naughty step and remove himself from us when we do things wrong because he's such a gracious God and he's, he's, he's more than we could ever dream or ask. The way that he thinks is not the way that we think. So when we do things and we mess up, which we all do, the one thing that is so dear for him in all of that is he says, oh, please, still remember me, bless me. Like David, you know, David, he had just a messed up life. You know, he he did good things, but he did bad things. But in the midst of the times when maybe he messed up, one thing he still did is he still chose to put Jesus, to put God at the forefront. And he said he would bless the Lord. And I encourage you, please, 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 if you're feeling bruised by life, and if maybe, you know, sometimes... Life, sometimes we make mistakes and we get ourselves into things, which is part of the bruising. It's not just always other people do things to us. Sometimes we've got to look at our little selves and think, oh, do you know what? I've just gone wandering off here, you know, and you've got yourselves into situations. But part of the restoration process is to fix your eyes. Just, just think about him. You know, when you're reading through the Bible, read the Psalms. See, what, see how wonderful he is. And it says in Psalm 34, like I said, it says those, to look for him, those who look at him for help will be radiant with joy. If we look to Jesus for help, he comes to us in our times of need. And part of that helps to restore us. Please don't feel that you can't run to him. Because like I said, he hasn't got a score sheet where he's, he's tracking our performance. And I'm so glad he doesn't because he loves us. You know, so part of that restoration is keeping our eyes and attention fixed on him. But the second half, I believe, of the restoration of our souls can be found in the second half of this verse. So Psalm 23 verse 3 says, He refreshes and restores my soul. Semicolon. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he restores our soul as we draw near to him, as we remind ourselves of how wonderful it is he is, as we recount the fact that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. But then what he also does is he gives us something really practical. He says, I'm going to lead you in paths of righteousness. So he doesn't just say, you know, I want to take you, and then you just go wandering off. But he says, no, I'm going to show you the way to go. And how does he show us the way to go? Well, he shows us through his word. What does it say? Your word is a light, a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. His word is the thing that illuminates and helps us see that path of righteousness. I love in Psalm 19, verses 7 to 8, it says this, the revelation of God is whole and puts our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way to joy. 
And the directions of God are plain and easy on the eyes. God shows us the way to go by pointing us to his word. And why does he need to do that? Well, it's because we're not very good at following the right way on our own. Hands up who is really good at doing everything right all the time. No, it's because that's why he likens us to sheep. I mean, I was just thinking, Dave was talking about the fact that, you know, when sometimes you go cycling on the mountain, the sheep are there. They've got the whole of the mountain to graze on. There's a sign then that says, do not go any further. And there's a quarry with a massive drop. And he says, Faye, guess where the sheep are? They're like hanging with their little toenails over the quarry eating. Because sheep, I mean, he likens us to sheep. Bless us, we're vulnerable. We're just prone to doing what we want. We just do what we want, what we like. And in and of ourselves, we're not that great at making the right choices. How many of you have got children? How many of you know that you don't have to teach your children how to do things wrong? What do we have to do as parents? We have to show them how to do the things that are right. Doing things wrong comes naturally to them. Arguing, biting, pulling hair, winding up comes naturally to a child. They do not need to be taught it. We have to then correct them and show them, yeah, perhaps don't do that. You know when your brother does that, well, don't poke his eyes out. And, you know, we have to kind of direct them and show them the right way to go. And it becomes no different for us as we, when you get to like 20 or 30 and have adult status, nothing changes. We're still like kids at heart. We're like, oh, we'll just go wandering over now and just, you know, what, do you know, I'm going to just poke my nose into that person's problem there and I'm just going to go, And we're just, we're really good at just doing things wrong. We just are. We're just like little sheep. I was actually laughing to myself. I found myself hysterical. When Dave told me about the whole thing with the sheep in the quarry, I was thinking, you never see the cow next to the sheep grazing with his little thing over. No, the cow is just grazing in his little pen where he should be. But the sheep just likes to kind of meander and just do its own thing. And we're stubborn. We've all got a stubborn wool. A will, not wool. <laughs> there we go. Sorry. Oh, I was brilliant then. I, I thought I was wearing a shepherd's cloak today, by the way. I took off my shepherd's cloak just before I came on because I thought I was going to roast in it. But anyway, we all have a stubborn will. I mean, are we out there? Don't tell me that I reckon... And the reason I know we all have a stubborn will is because if you're anything like me, I have a stubborn will... And you have a stubborn will because we're sheep and sheep are stubborn as well. That's another great attribute of being a sheep. You're stubborn. So God has to take us and show us the right way to go. And the way that he illuminates the path, the way that he shows us the right way to go, because we're not very good at taking the right course naturally, is by illuminating our path with his word. So his word is like the signpost that shows us how to go. And if we can follow the sign post, what he does is over time, he begins to use his word, which becomes the foundation for us leading our and living our lives. He begins to use his word and that also forms part of the restoration, pro, um, um, restoration process of our soul. Because the thing is, without the word, we haven't got a clue how to keep ourselves in line. 
It's like this. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Well, our mind tells us what we think. It's not telling us what God thinks. And our emotions, they tell us how we feel. They're not telling us how God feels. So if we don't know what the word says, then we are going to live out of the way we think and the way we feel. So God could be saying to you, show to forgiveness to somebody, and you're like, no, I'm going to slap them on the head because that's what I feel like. And the only way that we know not to slap them on the head is by knowing that the Bible says don't slap people on the head, but to love each other. But if we're just going to follow our own rule book, we get ourselves in trouble. You know, it's like, it is like this. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together. Talking about that shattered plate, restoration. So it's through his word that we get put back together, we get restored. And why? So that then we're shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. We need to know what the word says so that we can know how to act appropriately. So we don't end off wandering. You know, without the word, we haven't got the if we don't know the word, we don't know when we've got a bad attitude. We've got nothing to work out whether we're behaving or not. You know, with the word helps us show us when we're rebellious. When we're just like, no, I am not saying sorry. I'm not. Well, the word helps to show us that. And as we learn what the word has to say about different things, and as we then allow ourselves to take hold of that, the restoration of God can happen in our lives. I love what it says in Hebrews 4 verse 12. If you've got your Bibles, you can get it up, and if not, it'll come on the screen. For the, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit. See, as part of the restoration of our lives, the word shows us what's God and what's us. And the aim of the Christian life is to get to the point where what's us becomes so much like what's him that you can almost not tell the difference. And actually, we'll find ourselves walking in paths of righteousness where we're not always falling down because we're not making these mistakes that we always used to over and over again. You know, the Bible says, what does it say? Do not be conformed to this will, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God needs to do something in our thinking to help us to be able to live right. Because when we can't live right, everything that we do, our choices that we make, are all as a result of what we think about something. They're completely as a result of what we think. So he says, do you know what? Kids, my ways, they're just not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And I've got a higher way of living for you guys. He sees us and he, you know, he thinks, oh, do you know what? 
I want to show them. I want to show them the right way to live. Not because he's a rules God, but because he loves us so much that he thinks, ah, they just did this. They'd be so content. They just did this. They'd be so happy. You know, Philippians 2.13 says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You know, in and of ourselves, it's really tough sometimes to do the right thing. But the Bible says that he is working in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. So, you know, like when we get saved, when we get saved, we get given a new spirit and we get given new desires. And so that means that sometimes the struggle then becomes when we go to live out our lives, Sometimes there's part of us that's like wanting to do something right. And then there's some part of us that wants to do something wrong. And the wrestle becomes, what do we do, the right or the wrong? What's that all about? Well, that's the new creation in us, the new spirit within us, rising up to say, come on, there's a new way. There's a new way. Come on, you can do it. It's almost like this. Before we were saved, if you... If somebody was getting up your nose, they were bugging you, they were annoying you, you had no problem going over to them with your little attitude and doing, well, maybe the boys don't do that. I don't know what the boys do. They do that, don't they? But girls, do you know what I mean? They walk in and they're, I see it. I see it in my kids' school. I mean, this is eight-year-old kids, and I watch the girls, and they're like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to say. And you see that from a young age, if somebody bugs you, you're going to tell them what you think. You don't care if you cut them down in pieces. You're not bothered if you let, leave them alone crying because you've just said some hurtful things. It's like, I'm going to say this because you deserve it. Is that right? Is that what happens? And then you end up... The problem is, not only does that just really destroy the person, but it does something in there to you as well. And so what God does through his word is he illuminates a new way to do things. So all of a sudden, the things that you used to do and that you had no problem doing, but they're also the things that got you into a whole lot of trouble. Those are the things that make you discontented, unhappy, and all of that kind of stuff. What he does is he uses his word, and that's why it's really important to know what his word says. And that's not a, a strict, right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to read the Bible, f- you know, for five minutes, five times a day, blah, blah, blah. But also, just to have that instruction manual available to us, to be able to know the right way of doing things. Oh, man, it's so releasing. So, you know, if you're thinking, do you know what? I really don't know what the Bible says about the way to act. There's amazing things all through the New Testament where he just gently shows us how to live. You know, when he says, listen, don't do that. Don't grumble. Don't backbite. But instead, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. Don't, don't be shabby with your stuff, with your employer, and you, you know, you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Because what it does is it hardens you. So he says, don't do that. Instead, if you're going to work for somebody, then work as if you're working for me. So whatever you're doing, you're doing it unto me. And then, you know, it talks about in the Bible about loving one another. And Jesus is really, really good at showing us how to love one another. Not always easy, 
But he's really good at showing us how we can love each other. And the thing is that in Philippians, it says it's God that's working in us. He, it's God that's giving us the desire to do what pleases him. So we can go to him every day and say, oh, Jesus, please help me. Please help me to do the things that you want me to do. And God's not, you know, he, he takes us as we are and he works on us over a period of time. So like we're all, whether we've been a Christian for two minutes, two days, two years, or 200 years, we're all being, we're all works in progress. So, and because God is just really good at just gently and quietly working in us. And really, after we've accepted Jesus into our hearts, the only thing that we have to do is cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he shows us the way to go. As he says, okay, let's fine-tune that here and let's fine-tune that there. That's all we have to do. So the word of God is amazing in restoring our soul. It's amazing in, in helping us to navigate life really well. Galatians 5, 16 to 18 in the message says this. My counsel is this. Live freely, animated, and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feel the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical, if that's how you say it, so that you cannot live at all times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. And the reality is that's what happens when you live out of your feelings. I mean, one minute I'm so motivated to join a gym that I join it and the next day I can't get out of bed to go. What's that all about? Well, my emotions one day were super duper, I'm going to change the, well, I'm not going to change the world through the gym. I'm going to change myself. It's like, right, last March, I decided I was embarking on a running career. So I thought, I'm doing this whole couch to 5K thing. This is going to be good for me in my life. I don't have time for a gym, but I can walk, I can run. So has anyone done the couch to 5K app? Nobody. Uh, I won't tell you about it then. So basically, right, well, I will tell you a bit. It was hysterical. Firstly, I'd not exercised in ages, so I had no clothes to wear. I didn't go naked, but I wore leggings and stuff like that. But I, mean, I didn't have any gym clothes to wear, you know? So I just put on anything, which is fine, because I don't mind dressing like looking odd. But what I forgot is that my kids had to watch me run down past their school. So, right, I just kind of had anything on. And also, I had... I couldn't, I thought, oh, Couch to 5K is on your phone, so you kind of need your phone plugged in and music, and it tells you, walk for a minute, so you walk, and then it says, run, oh, so you start doing this. So I thought, oh, well, I'll put some music on. Didn't have any headphones, but Eden had a pair, pair of furry leopard earphones for Christmas, you know, like the EMF earphones? So I thought, I'll wear them. That's fine. So I was a mixed match of everything with these leopard things coming on my ears. And I don't listen to music either. I'm so sad, right? So the only thing that I had on my phone was Michael Bublé Christmas songs. So it's March, right? And I'm poised and I'm like, come on, kids. And they're like, Diane's like, where are you going, man? I said, I'm going to walk you down to school and then I'm going for a run. And you could just see the terror on their faces as my leopard earphones and my mixed match of stuff. And I was just... Anyway, um, 
he kindly gave me a pair of his earphones to make me look a little less discreet. And I did embark on my running career, and the first day was awesome. I mean, I was so good at it. I walked like 30 seconds, ran 30 seconds, walked 30 seconds. I came bounding up to the house. It's ridiculous, actually, because I said, Dave, do you know what? Me and the girls are going to have an amazing future in running together. I can see us doing this as a family, running after school. I'll take the girls out. And so the next day, when I went to, when I went to embark on it, I could only, I like walked for 30 seconds, ran for 30 seconds, walked for 30 seconds, ran for 30 seconds, and my legs were hurting. So I decided I had shin splints, and that was the end of my walk, running career. So, but it was just like the feelings. The feelings were all there on the first day. I was going for it. I was going to be there looking amazing. You know, you're going to see this athletic person running into church, and instead, I'm still eating the croissants. I've still got like the rolls hanging over my trousers. You know, I'm having to buy new clothes because the ones I wore last year don't fit me this year. But hey, that's what feelings do. And so, yes, so why did I say that? So there we go. So we can't live by feelings. We've got to live by what the word says. And the word is a really great signpost in directing and showing us the way to live. So if I can encourage you in the restoration of our souls, as God wants to restore our souls, he wants to change us from the inside out. If I can encourage you with anything today, it's cooperate with the Holy Spirit and get to know what the word of God says. And his, his, the things that he says are liberating. They're not rules and regulations that are hard and full of burden. I read it in um, Psalm 19. It says the direction of God is plain and easy on the eyes. He's not like this taskmaster that's like, you've got to do this, you've got to do 50 squats, onto this, onto this, onto this. He's just really easy. It's just really simple stuff. Like, watch what you say. You know, don't be talking bad about people. You know, simple stuff like that. But those kind of things, when we're left to our own devices, we just do them. But we end up getting ourselves into trouble and we end up being broken on the inside. And Jesus doesn't want us broken on the inside. He really wants us whole and complete and happy. He wants his word to direct and guide our thoughts. So as I conclude this morning, if you get anything from this message, understand that God, the king of the universe... In Psalm 68, it says this. He's the father to the fatherless. It says also that he's the defender of the widow. And it's our joy because of that. I just think of it. He's the father to the fatherless, the defender of the widow. And for me, it's my joy to follow a shepherd that has all the power of the universe in his hands to do anything. But he uses the power in his hands to lift the lowly, to heal the brokenhearted. He says, oh, bruised reed. He said, oh, he said a bruised reed. He wants it straightened out. He said, if you're a smoldering flick, if you feel like life is ebbing away, and you once were burning bright, and now it's just this tiny, tiny little glow because everything almost feels if it's going out. He says, do you know what? 
I'm not going to come around and go and walk off. He doesn't do that. No, he takes the fragile. He takes the broken. He takes you and me. And with all the power of the universe at his disposal, he humbles himself really to make himself a shepherd. He humbles himself to say, come on, I want to guide you. I want to show you. I want to show you a way that could really help you out in life. I don't want you to stumble in the dark. I'm going to use my word to light your path. Come follow me. And he gently guides us. His word is almost like the sat-nav that points us the direction to go. And you know, sometimes if you've ever followed a sat-nav, you sometimes don't take the turning when it says to take the turning, do you? But the shepherd is so good because he doesn't start shouting, you haven't followed my directions! He doesn't do that. He just says, okay, reroute. At the next turning, turn left. And you just follow the next turning. You know, oh, sorry, Lord. Did I harbored a bit of unforgiveness in my life there towards somebody. He says, that's okay. Come on. We'll go around this way and we'll get you back on course that way. And as we just follow him, as we, as we just allow him to lead and guide us, and we allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, then he will lead us on a path of restoration, a path to restore our souls. Because he doesn't want to see his kids with their minds messed up, their emotions frail. He wants to take us and he wants us to return back to the factory settings that he had for us before the foundation of the earth. The foundation, the things that say, I know the plans I have. Plans to prosper, not to harm. He wants to take and he wants to use your life and make it beautiful. You know, you could be in this place today and you say, Faye, you're talking about things. And I know maybe my life is a bit of a mess. And I never knew that God was like a shepherd to come and help and to guide me. I never knew that that's what following Jesus was all about, was about having somebody to lead me and help me navigate through the ways of life. So if you're in this place today, we're just going to close our eyes right now. I want to invite you to get to know the most wonderful shepherd, the most wonderful father you can ever come to know and you know to to get to know him there's not this whole list of rules and regulations you don't have to do anything you don't have to change yourself you don't have to change you as a person Jesus says do you know what I just want to take you as you are because I think you're so valued and special and all you have to do is just ask him invite him into your heart so you can say and repeat these words after me Jesus Thank you that you love me so much that you want to come and guide me and help me through this life. Jesus, today I ask 
that you would come into my heart so that you can be the one that I follow. Thank you for what you did for me when you died 2,000 years ago. That you did all of that for me to make me whole, healed. Jesus, right now, I ask you into my heart. Amen. You know, if you've said that prayer, we've got a Bible that we'd love to give you. And in that Bible, there's just some really, really simple things that shows you on how you can continue to get to know more about Jesus. So if you said that prayer right now, if you want to just lift your hand, one of our hosts will come to give you a Bible. Great. You know, and whilst we're doing that, you know, if you're in here right now, and you feel like your soul needs restoring. I'm going to just pray. And just allow Jesus to do what he wants in your life. You know, he uses many different ways to restore our souls. From the green pasture to the still waters. To his word. And to us focusing our attention on him. So allow him to restore you in the way that he wants. So Jesus, right now, Lord, if there are people in this place and they feel like their will, their mind and emotions are broken, they're marked by life, Lord, I pray right now that you would come. Lord, as the restorer of our souls, the good shepherd, who fathers the fatherless, defends the widow, inclines his ears to those who are lowly. Jesus, in this place, will you touch your children? Thank you, Lord, that your restoration is a wonderful process of healing. And Lord, we ask that you would change us that you would change us all, Father, that you would restore us all in areas of our lives. In Jesus' name.